Open Mic is a podcast brought to you by Bethel Express of America. All right. Mike Peace here. A very happy Mike Peace. Um, you should see me cheesing all the way. <laughs> anyway, it's all good. Hope everybody out there in podcast land is enjoying this. We had certainly enjoyed doing this. And so uh, I'm, I'm like, I had the finest hostess with the mostest, as she would say, uh, for any brother in podcast land. And that's my beautiful wife, Julia Peace. And so how you doing? I'm good. You're laughing and I was here snorting. Well, see, and, and covered up. Well, at least y'all know that this is about as organic as it comes. Yes. But anyway, but uh, we won't belabor all of that stuff. Um, but I have to let y'all know we're we're looking forward to this, and it's a new year. So, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Hero Small H, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, all right here we go. So, Mike, um, you've been doing some albums, and up to 1989, uh, you had albums. Can you state what they were? And what, right before you went into studio with a very in, well-known musician? <laughs> well, my th- th- at this point, 1989, I had recorded my first album. Well, 87, I did my first album, Rock It Right. Rock It Right. And that did very well. They were very pleased. The record label was very pleased, especially since hip-hop was still very questionable, period, let alone in the body of Christ. And then my second album was called Rapping Bold. And uh, they allowed me to say a, a little bit more than I probably would not have been able to get away with prior to then. And so they were like, Mike, it's time to, you have some good momentum, so it's time for you to go back in the studio. And I was like, okay, if you can help me out a little bit with production on another level, I'd be very appreciative. So that studio was won by the <laughs> ever-famous Prince. Yes. What was the connection that brought you to record at Prince's personal studio? Well, uh, during those during those days, actually, in the mid to late 80s, uh, a significant number of celebrities or in, in Christian music were getting saved and really growing. Some had already been growing but had not said anything, and then they, they got to the point where they could say something publicly. They were Christians, and one of them was Des Dickerson, who happened to be uh, the guitar player who played for Prince, played for and with Prince, um, all of those great, what, what they would call the glory days of Prince's career. And uh, he said that uh, he would be went well, through the connection that, that the record label had, Reunion Records had, they were able to contact Dez, and Dez said, yeah, let's do it. So tell us more about Dez. Uh, but Des is one of the coolest brothers I've ever met to this very day. That was 1989, and this is 2022, and he's still one of the coolest brothers I've ever met. Natural swag before we started talking like that. And um, Des had a very interesting perspective on spiritual matters as it related to music, and they were all good, legit, and doctrinally sound. But um, he always he felt that it was important for him to meet me, to talk to me, and see where I was coming from uh, as as an artist, as a writer. And he said something that has stayed with me to this very day, and it meant something to me. Something to me. And he said, he says, well, he says, you have all the lyrics ready. So he said, you've tapped into heaven for the lyrics. He said, my job is to tap into heaven for the music. He said, so he says, it's my move next. And that, st- that stuck with me because it's like, yeah, that that is how it goes. I got him from the Lord, the lyrics, and since I'm just a drummer and he's much more than that and a producer, 
He had to do his part, and so he did. And Vigilante of Hope is is the name of the is the name of that album. Tell tell us why Vigilante of Hope, why that title. Um, I through our experiences that we were having as we were out on the road, and when I say on the road, we were not being you know city to city, um, getting in front of you know ten. Thousand twenty five thousand people. Thank you. We love you. Good night. We weren't those kind of people, as you all know. We were doing stuff. We, well, we used to say this um, that we have traveled the country, but we know this. We know the country from the gutter, and that's because that's where we were. That we were doing urban outreach ministry in the streets. So yes, we were selling units, and yes, you know, I was on the cover of magazines and stuff. But that was that was the record label side. Our ministry side was in the streets, and so. Um, you know, we were we were doing music that related to folks in the street, and Des made it possible with his production ability to give us real street credibility and legitimacy. Well, I do remember going to the Twin Cities there, St. Mm-hmm. Paul and Minneapolis. And, yeah, and when I met Des, I really you just you automatically liked him. He yeah. had just such a nice way about him and very um, inviting. And that experience, as well as him doing the album, you know, upcoming album later on, just made us feel so connected. Yeah. You know, so I I do remember some important facts about Paisley. It's, mm-hmm. It was Paisley Park, Yeah, right? Paisley Park. Can you tell us about Paisley Park and the studio and what, what it was like, that experience? Well, back then it was considered state of the art. It's probably state of the nation now um, with the, 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 the level of a, equipment that they have, the quality, the grade of equipment, the technology. And it was, it was actually, it looked more like an industrial, um, industrial park complex, if you will, really nicely done up too, very nicely done up. And, uh, so, uh, you know, they had three major studios back then, you know, A, B, and C, and it was just cool just being there, seeing the pictures of all the all the groups that had recorded there, and you know, while we were there, I'm dating myself now, but there was a group called the Jets. Uh, they happened to be there, and they walked in when I was there. As a matter of fact, you know, they went a different direction then, but you know, just to see the Jets, which was a uh, a family musical family, you know, there doing what they were doing was just so cool. But everything about that studio was amazing. I mean. Before that, the first two albums that I did was in the basement of our producer. Decent studio, but this was like a real studio like you see on TV and in movies. And so me being a vigilante of hope, I had to kind of get myself kind of worked down a little bit because I was feeling like I'm not so, I'm not, you know, I'm in this studio like this is not raw or rugged at all. This is more like polished and, you know, all cutesified. So it was dope. It was dope. That's all I can say. <laughs> so, so you said that there are different studios there. What was happening in one of the studios? Well, we were in Studio A, but when I would take a break, I would go walking by Studio B, and I found out that Prince was in the studio next door, and they were producing the soundtrack to the first Batman movie. And so, and I heard, I like, I, I like, I would, <laughs> I got, I'm gonna say it now. Everybody's gonna hear it. I would be very diligent to make sure that I could get some of my songs done in one take. Because as soon as I had a take, then they would give us a break. And I could go and check out what they were doing next door. And I could listen to them, you know, and I could, I could actually hear Prince's voice, you know, yeah, oh, let's do that one more time. Turn it back. Turn it back one more. Oh, no, that's not that good. 
no. And I'm saying to myself, yo, this sounding really good. What, what is he talking about? But I could, yeah, just do that like that. You know, he had that real smooth kind of voice. And I'm like, wow, I'm hearing the Batman movie soundtrack before it even comes out. It didn't even come out for another year. And that was like amazing. So he was in Studio B. I forget if Studio A was the better studio, but no, Studio B was the better studio. A, B, C, those are just letters <laughs> at, at Paisley Park. Wow. You know, we know that Prince has passed on, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, so as you're there, what is it significant of Batman? Okay. My favorite all-time TV show series is Batman the TV series. So much so that I have not seen one Batman movie in protest and resistance and defiance against Batman, the movie, because the only real one is Adam West and Burt Ward, okay? Adam West, Batman, Burt Ward, Robin. I don't know if he ever went to church, but he sure said holy a lot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, uh, my all-time favorite TV show is Batman. It was kind of scary because for a while there as a kid, I did not know that Batman was not really real, you know? And then like, you know, with Batman in those days, part one was this day and then part two was the next day. So you didn't see the end of it. And I'm like, oh, snap, they're still stuck. Oh, I hope Batman gets out of there. And like we would go to school the next day. Here I am in the third grade. Like, yo, do you think Batman's going to be free? Or do you think they're going to kill him, Mr. Freeze? He's in the freezing. You know? And we were all like, yeah, man. I don't know. But well, we're going to find out tonight because they say same bad time, same bad channel. So, <laughs> so. so that's your early experience of stress. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get a putty ball. So. Uh. Um, so when you look at uh, the whole thing behind Vigilante, okay, do you see a significant impact that it made as you were wrapping around the country and in, you know, urban areas? Have you? Do you have any stories about you know, what people have said about it? Yes. As a matter of fact, I just I just um, had a conversation with a gentleman in Tulsa about a month ago. And he said, he said, I want to thank you. He said, because you, he says, all the brothers that, that were on the mic and in, in, in the body of Christ were good. And he says, but you have an edge to you. He says, I can tell that you're like really out there doing this stuff and not just giving commentary. And he says, you are giving us, and well, he said to me, he said, well, he started with himself. He says, you gave me the courage to, and he was a singer, not a rapper. He said, you gave me the courage to sing about the things that I was seeing, A, and then B, um, what the Lord could do um, as a result of what we see because we have we availed ourselves to the Lord. And that's what he said. And he says, your album Vigilante Hope is what did it for me. And he said, he said those words almost don't go together, vigilante and hope. He says, and I was so clever how you did that. And and I was glad that he, I was I was glad that he picked up on that. I'm sure many others did too, but it was it put me in a position to really, you know, give people an opportunity to say, well, we can be very proactive. We don't have to be hardcore, but we can go in hard with the hope of Jesus to the point where we 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 are being relentless about this. Hmm. So, how did reunion feel about the whole project once it was done? They were well. They I'm were sure pleased. you get feedback. Yeah, yeah, well, they were very pleased from the beginning because Des Dickerson was a part was a part of it, so it lent to more credibility uh, to to me as an artist and to Reunion Records as a label because they had somebody of of uh, Des Dickerson's ilk 
you know, producing it, you know, and then we did it in Paisley Park, you know, that everybody knew that was like Prince's studio. So they were very happy about that. They were also very happy about the fact that the response to, to the album was really, really good because I, I kind of turned a corner when I was in it, turned a personal corner when I was doing it because most of my songs up until that time, uh, I bragged on Jesus a whole lot. Um, when I got to Vigilante Hope, I bragged on Jesus a whole lot and almost kind of was kind of smushing it in people's face like, and so and you still don't want to be down with Jesus after all you see going on in this world? You know, kind of a thing. So the first two albums were were about me just lifting up the name of Jesus. The 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 third one, Vigilante, was lifting up the name of Jesus and saying, You you still have not responded? You still don't want this? You know, and so that's that's really what what what, what was happening with that. You know, in terms of the company responding and how they felt about it. Right. So I'm sure that within every album project done, there is a great expense to it. Yes. Okay. And so how did they balance that versus Michael Peace? Um, The dirty secrets are coming out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What do you mean by expense? You mean financially expense to them or the expense of being the people that are putting out something really? Both. Well, the thing is, by the time we got the Vigilante of Hope, we had sold as many as 40,000 units pre-order when there was a word, when word got out that I was going to come out with an album produced by uh, by uh, Des Dickerson. Um, 40,000 people bought it in advance, and I had not even gone into the studio yet. And so they were very happy about that. So the financial side, yeah, yeah, really, yeah, talk about pressure. And so that was the first part. But then the second part of it was the expense, you know, of them being a little bit more edgy, being recognized as the edgy label, you know, because it's like, okay, you know, Reunion Records is really going there with with this Christian, with the Christian hip hop. I mean, there were other artists, of course, well-known artists, but because of what I was doing, you know, it was really getting out there, you know, and people were like, man, Reunion Records, they're really not even going to, they're not even on the edge. They were the edge. So they kind of upgraded you as you went along in oh, terms definitely. of where the, where definitely. the studio you Yeah, they definitely, yeah, the value they, of that. they knew, they realized that I was definitely a, a viable artist and a valuable or, artist as well. And I mean that in a good way in terms of what we were p- producing and what I was, you know, saying on the mic. We see a lot of people are doing projects, recording, mm-hmm. things have changed, everything's digital, you know, and uh, versus back when you were mm-hmm. <laughs> way back okay in the early now. centuries doing <laughs> okay now do, doing recording. <laughs> if you were ever, well, I don't know, if you were ever offered, I'm trying to answer the question for you, but let mm-hmm. me get it out. Uh, <laughs> if you were ever offered to go back to the same studio, would you? Yes, I would. Yes, I would. Um, I'd go back, but I would go back probably not so much as, quote unquote, just an artist and and a fan, because I was definitely awestruck by being there. I'm not going to front. I was I mean, here. I am at that point in my early 30s and I was still like a fan, you know, kind of a thing. Um, and that's cool. But um, looking back, um, I would have asked for an opportunity to meet Prince, I would and and I would have done however I could have done shared shared some of the things shared some of the goodness of God in my life and my and I would share say these things to him in gratitude for him allowing us to be in the studio. 
Um, he definitely gave us a good price because of Des. So we would we probably would not have been able to afford to be able to afford the studio time and things like that. But because of Des, it was it was, it was going to work out. But um, I think I would have been a little bit more proactive about can I meet him and just talk to him from like five minutes? And I would have shared I would have shared gratitude with him, but also would have said, look, let me tell you, you know, Prince, let me tell you what this album is going to do. Let me tell you what this what this means and the impact and it's taking place in your studio. You know, that kind of a thing. I, I definitely would have gone back. And the last thing about that is in, in, when I did my first album, I was invited to do some ministry in Minneapolis, and I did. And um, I, I actually, the, 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 the brother that brought me out, um, he was Prince's youth pastor when Prince was, you know, at whatever stage, age of his life, uh, he had been Prince's youth pastor. You know, and um, he, you know, he told me some very not bad, but very interesting stories about Prince. So I felt like I could have had a little bit of an inroads because I little had a little bit of a headway, if you will, about Prince's life and where he stood spiritually because I spoke, I met his youth pastor and was with him for four days. Yeah, well, it seems like Paisley Park was a very interesting place to be. I, I know that you you talk about well known people. Did Terry, Jimmy Jam, and those guys? Um, they they, they were around or? by that actually by that time they had already started their own studio called Flight Time Studio and Flight Time Music, um, but uh, on on that album though there was um if you look on the on the on the credits there there are two songs on there where there was like a really slick bass solo kind of a thing and the bass player is really you know really accentuated in one song um, it was called that's um, how it all started and uh, that was the name of the song. And it was like a bass solo. And then it says, you know, bass bass player um, uh, Brown Mark. It actually, his real name was Mark Brown. But Prince had a way of giving everybody nicknames. So he changed his name from Mark Brown to Brown Mark. Brown Mark was, was became Prince's premier bass player. Um, a young guy that just, he was just so good. And, and Prince was impressed by him. So he was on that album. So I can say I got a little bit of touch, you know, additional touch. Of course, Dez played some guitar on the album too. So I got a little bit of that, you know, Minneapolis sound involved with that. Um, and a couple of other people who were known in, in the Minneapolis scene, not necessarily, not necessarily nationally, but were known then in the, in the, uh, the, the Minneapolis scene, music scene, were on the project as well. So, yeah, I had a little bit of flavor in there from there. I think Vigilante was one of my favorite. I think because of that sound. Yeah, I agree. uh, It was really, really a a good sound. So have you contacted Des? Do you know what he's up to? You guys, Facebook buddies. You don't do Facebook. Yeah. So it would have to come through me. Yeah, yeah. I sent him him a a salutation uh, about two years ago, and he responded. You know, I'm, 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 I'm not much of a... FaceTime, uh, face, face, well, FaceTime too, but not much of a Facebook kind of a guy. But for me, I, I, I did send, you know, like gratitude to Des because at that point, you know, I had been out of the industry at that point oh, close to 20 years then, you know. Um, and I was just, it was just one of those times when I was just reflecting on my life. Um, and I was just looking back and I was like, man, there's some people that really helped me get to where I've been, you know, where I've been and where I am right now. And Des definitively was one of those people. Jeff Mosley at the top of the list. So Jeff, if you're listening yeah. to you, to this, yo man, I did not forget you. Mad love, mad love. 
All right. And then Des Dickerson, no doubt. And there are people that you know that are in your corner. And I think back then, since things were just developing and and uh, becoming bigger in terms of Christian rap, hip-hop, mm-hmm. and you knew they were in your corner, that they wanted you to succeed and they believed in your message, they yeah. believed in you and never wanted to compromise the message that you wanted to get out versus their artistic talent, things. It yeah. was always well put together. And I really appreciated that about Des Dickerson. Yes. And, and one thing I won't forget... And and I, and I and I haven't done this in, enough. If I've done it at all, if I think about it, is, is extend my love to the and appreciation to, to the folks at Reunion Records because in 1989 um, things were going very very well musically and selling units and everything. And then I won't forget this with the executives, the actual owners of the company had me in their, in their office and they said, Mike, what you're doing is really great. And the only way we feel like we can get behind you is to do what we're about to offer you. And they said, if you go anywhere in the country and somebody gives their life to the Lord, he said, give them the address and we would send them a free cassette. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a free cassette, you know, of your music, you know. And um, I, I think they didn't realize how much we were really doing it, you know. So I think they were glad that it was just a one-year thing. But... Because yeah. they they could have they could have gone broke, okay? yeah. and, and you weren't doing big con- concerts. You were doing street ministry yeah. outreaches, you know. So it's not like it's gonna it's gonna sell that big mm-hmm. because of the audiences that you're before. Yeah, but it yeah. did. That's the yeah. thing. It it did. It they were so pleased with the record sales, and it's like he's not even touring. He's like jails, prisons, juvenile detention centers, gangs, cribs, blood, strollers, all rookings, all these gangs and all this stuff. And he's still selling like this. Like they, they, and, and I was just glad that they could see what the Lord was doing with it, that they made a way for people who were getting saved yes, to get a free did. cassette. Yeah. And Kingdom Bound help you with bigger sales. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Oh yeah. No doubt about it. Well, listen, we just want to thank you so much for listening to our podcast open mic. Make sure you subscribe, follow, or whatever you need to do to stay current on our podcast. We hope that you stop by next time where we will invite our son, Roberto JD, to talk about growing up as a peace kid, production, and all things music. He better say something good, too. (laughs) Until then, God bless and stay safe. Thank you.